Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Immigration and Travel. This is Sam Uria, your host. And today I'm going to talk about a very special individual by the name of Francis Nganou. He's the current UFC heavyweight champion. And his story is absolutely nuts. His migration story has inspired me for the past year since the first time that I heard it. And uh, I'm happy to share some of that with you guys. But there is uh, his testimony in the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, which is on Spotify, exclusively on Spotify, uh, in which he details uh, most of his journey. And uh, it's about three hours long. So I'm going to summarize his story here just so that people have an understanding of a pretty big issue that happens in regards to immigration and migration which is the sub-saharan migration to europe uh francis was born in cameroon and he was also uh forced to, to leave his country to search for a better life uh and migrate to europe problem is migrating to europe is one of the hardest things any human being can can do um, if you look at a map, so take out your maps, because if you want to listen to this, you're going to need to have some visual help and, and be able to understand what where we're talking about. Francis was born in Cameroon, and he was um, raised most of his childhood by his mom, because his dad was pretty violent, and then eventually he got sick, and he passed away, so he started working in sand mines when he was uh, 10 years old, I believe. And he worked from age 10 to 17, saved up money. He was also a taxi driver, a motorcycle taxi driver in Cameroon. And one day he just decided he needed to go. He, he didn't foresee any opportunities in Cameroon. He had the dream of being a boxer. And he thought the only way to do that was to uh, go to Europe. So he did what a lot of migrants or... Uh, people who are thinking about migrating to Europe do, which is they start a journey all the way to Morocco or Tunisia or Libya, which are countries in North Africa, to try to cross to Europe. And a lot of them try to cross um, the Mediterranean Sea or they try to cross uh, from Spain or sorry, from Morocco into Spain. So France has left and he started in Cameroon from um or sorry yeah he started in Cameroon to Nigeria and this is probably the easiest part of the trip because Cameroon and Nigeria have good political relationships and he was able to just go without them asking for much uh and then from Nigeria he then goes up to Niger uh, and that's where things got a little bit more difficult because officers oftentimes, as they do with migrants, they ask for bribes and they can strip you down and take everything that you had. So immigrants had to be innovative with how they would hide their money. And um, Francis, in his case, did what he called the Red Queen effect, which is he would cover the money in plastic and he would swallow it. And so even if the officers would uh, would uh, strip him down and search him, then they wouldn't be able to find his money. After crossing Niger, he gets to Algeria, and that's where he pays professional smugglers to take him through the back door because you can't really migrate from Niger to Algeria uh, through customs or through the border patrol or anything like that. You have to be smuggled. Uh, except if you look at a map, Algeria has the Sahara Desert 
right in the middle of it. Actually, I think most of Algeria is, is the Sahara Desert. And the temperatures during the day are extremely high, like 150 Fahrenheit and then 20 Fahrenheit during the night. So these smugglers, what they would do is they would all have like these pickup trucks and they would load 25 people in the back. Uh, they told the migrants not to bring a lot of water or belongings. Um, and so it was like 25 people going at about 100 and something miles an hour because they're pretty much just uh, crossing the desert. There's no actual roads. They're just driving on the desert and they're trying to get through the desert as fast as they can. Uh, there's a few uh, risks that go along with that to you know, with crossing in a pickup truck. Number one is you better hope that car doesn't break down because if you're in the middle of the desert with temperatures that high and no real water or enough water for everybody, that's it. You, you're pretty much dead. Number two, what I just mentioned, water. If you run out of water, then you're dead. And number three, you're going so fast and there are so many people in the back that you have to hold yourself steady. You have to hope you don't fall out of the truck because if you fall out at that speed, you're dead. Um, Francis had to do this uh, with so many other people and even mothers who had babies who were hanging on so tight to their baby and with one arm and holding their weight with the other that people would have to take turns carrying the baby so that the mom wouldn't just pretty much let go and give up so it it was something that i can't believe francis was able, was able to get through uh, i mean not just crossing from cameroon to, to nigeria and then going through niger and, and running the risk of being bribed and i mean it's not just that people um, like women especially when they do these trips they do it with babies a lot of the times you know they have nowhere to leave them or they don't want to leave them so they take the babies with them and they have to do Francis's almost exact journey not specific details but pretty similar journey with a baby in their hand so it's to me every time I, I hear something like that or I listen to a story that is about that I just I can't believe that it's actually it's actually real so uh, Francis then is able to, well, thankfully for Francis, he was able to make it through the Algerian desert. And um, he was running out of water, though. He, he did tell a story in which when they were driving, they stopped and they found a well. But the well, uh, the water well was full of animals, full of dead animals, dead insects. And it was super dirty. And But he was so dehydrated that he just thought, okay, well, if I don't drink this water now, I'm going to die. And if I drink this water, I'm going to die maybe as well. So he took a huge risk in drinking water that dirty with dead animals. But he made it through. He cheated death. Then he gets to Morocco uh, where officers, if they find out you're from Cameroon, they would deport you. But Francis was intelligent enough, hacked his way around this and he bought a passport from the country of Mali. So a Malian passport. If you look at a map, Mali is located right there between Morocco and Algeria or right below Morocco and Algeria. And that was beneficial to the migrants if they 
were able to fake that they were from Mali because Algeria and Mali have really good relationships, as opposed to Morocco and Algeria. They don't get along. They've been kind of in a cold war for decades. So Francis did that, and he did get stopped by Algerian officers who checked his passport, and they played with him psychologically. They tried to find out if he was really from Mali, and he passed that test as well. He then gets to Morocco, and that's where Francis and migrants, uh, in the thousands really, every single year, they get to t- they get to these two enclaves, and an enclave, if you don't know what it means, an enclave is a small territory that's surrounded by a bigger territory, but that smaller enclave is very ethnically different, and so Spain has two enclaves in Morocco. They have Spanish culture, they speak Spanish, they belong to Spain, and they're part of the European Union, but they're located uh, terrestrially in Morocco, and they have a land border. So Morocco is the only country in Africa that has a land border with Europe, even though it's not physically a border. Uh, if migrants are able to cross those borders in, in the two enclaves, then they can ask for asylum in, in Europe. If they don't want to do that, and they have very good reasons not to because those uh, enclaves uh, and the borders are barbed wire borders with Moroccan military and with uh, Spanish military, let alone the barbed wire um, and the possibility of getting caught and deported back, uh, then people also opt to cross the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, And that is equally, if not more dangerous, because if you're on a boat, uh, you don't really know you have to paddle and um, th- th- you don't know which way the wind is blowing. You don't know if there's going to be a temperature change, which then, crea- which then creates huge, dangerous waves. Uh, let alone, there are also the navies of Morocco and Spain. So if any of that goes wrong and you fall in the water, you're probably going to drown. So this is France's story, but also other migrants story and that's what francis did he he was able to make it to morocco and he gave it a shot he gave crossing the land border a shot and what a lot of these migrants did was hide in the desert of algeria and try to go to one enclave which is melija and if that didn't work then they would go uh, more central and try to cross the enclave in ceuta uh, and in Ceuta, there was like a forest where a lot of migrants would, would live and they would uh, wait for the opportunity to get together, plan a time and bum rush the border. And maybe 90% of them got caught or injured, but there was a small margin of people that would make it through during these like uh, planned attacks or planned um runs towards the border Uh, and Francis did that Francis tried seven times to cross the land border and he was unsuccessful many of those times he got injured especially one time he almost died because he tried to jump the barbed wire fence and he cut his stomach open and almost bled to death thankfully the Red Cross if people I'm sure people know what the Red Cross is. They they aid people around the world who are in uh, poverty-stricken areas or 
conflict areas and they go and provide uh, medical aid and other kinds of support. The Red Cross knows about this situation with migration in, in Africa and they go to these specific areas and help people. So Francis was able to get some hospital help and because of that, he didn't die. If he would have been, I mean, we also run the risk of getting caught by the police and uh, or whoever else if you go and search, um, if you go in search of medical help. So Francis did have a decision to make: Do I stay here and bleed out and die, or do I go and possibly get caught and deported back? He luckily was able to receive the medical help but then get thrown back into the forest of of morocco but at least he wasn't all the way back in cameroon or further south he was still where he he was in the best place to give it another go he gave up on the land border and then he started trying to cross the mediterranean sea that was another (laughs) few failed attempts take into account he took 14 months from the minute he left cameroon to the minute that he was finally able to make it to Europe, which I'll tell you about in a second. But it took him 14 months, a year and two months to finally do this. And for the best part of that year, he was already in Morocco. So all those times he tried, it was like one year of failed attempts. Then he finally, or well, let me tell you a little bit more about how he tried to cross the sea. You would have, you know, people that are captains, like I guess now you, you could call them smugglers, but there were people who were also migrants and trying to cross the sea, but they would get caught. The Navy, the Moroccan Navy, or the Guardia Civil of Spain, which is like the National Guard, they would, um, they, they know the situation. They know migrants are trying to cross and they have radars and, and they know from the minute that people are leaving the coast of Morocco, they're just waiting for these migrants to get close and for them to go and and uh, detain them. Uh, so a lot of times they would, you know, go on a boat and get caught and sent back. It happened, I think, six times. Francis became so experienced because he had failed so many times, not just in the two enclaves, but crossing by sea, that he had then become a captain. He, he had then become a popular figure in the north city of northern city of Tangier, uh, Morocco, that people just knew him. People knew him as he was physically uh, a physical specimen, so he already stood out physically. But on top of that, people trusted him because he had the experience. So he wasn't just trying to cross by himself anymore and getting any help. He had then become like the expert in crossing, or at least trying to. And he was trying to make it uh, as well. So finally, the way that he was able to accomplish this was wrap his boat in aluminum foil uh, so that the radars wouldn't um, detect his boat and just get as close to Spain as possible. And if he got to a certain point, I believe if he was able to get to a certain point and call the Red Cross instead of uh, the Spanish military or the Moroccan military catching them first, they would be rescued and then taken into mainland Europe and one by one be interviewed and see if um, they would apply for asylum or if they were eligible for asylum. So that's what Francis did. He finally figured out after all his experience to wrap his boat in aluminum foil 
make it into the middle of the sea, call the Red Cross and be rescued. After he was rescued, he spent two months in Spain in a prison. And he was, I think, even in solitary confinement for about two months. And this is what Francis says was the toughest part. I mean, imagine going through all this stuff. And the hardest part is yet to come because it's mental confinement. Uh, but luckily, he wasn't carrying any documents by that point. Uh, they couldn't identify him. And Spain didn't have any relationships with Cameroon when it came to deportation. So he was granted the ability to go ask for asylum in different countries. He thought about going to the UK. He thought about going to France. And ultimately, that's what he did. This is the number one country for a lot of African migrants because France has huge presence and had a huge colonization of Africa in decades past. So where when a lot of these migrants go and, and ask for asylum in Europe, they tend to choose France because they speak the language, uh, because there are other African uh, nationals living there. And Francis went there with his dream of joining a gym and he got there and he was able to find one and eventually train himself or I, th I believe what happened was he was homeless when he first got to France found a gym and then he slept in a parking lot then he got good enough to start competing and eventually landed a contract with the UFC and the UFC uh, celebrates a lot of its events in the United States so he fought in Vegas and he got a work permit and he built his record into what it is today which is absolutely phenomenal he was knocking opponents out left right and center and he eventually fought for the belt he, he fought for the championship the first time in 2018 and he lost it but he was able to come back, win a few more fights, fight for the belt a second time against the same opponent that beat him the first time, and win the belt. And last, sorry, two weeks ago, he defended it, and he's in the actuality, he is the uh, current heavyweight champion. So he was, uh, I mean... It's hard to find the words to describe this guy's journey, uh, but to be able to leave Cameroon and uh, he another detail I didn't I didn't tell you guys is he he didn't tell his family that he he was gonna leave so he made that decision and he was able to cheat death pretty much everywhere that he went. These are dangerous countries, you know, especially going the back door of each country. You don't know what you're gonna run into. You don't know if you're gonna if you you'll ever make it from one country to the next. Uh, and then, it's just hard to compare the difficulty of each step because I don't even think I would have just gone. And then from actually deciding to leave, taking that first step to leave, going through a country where you're probably going to be stripped and searched 
and get your stuff taken, run the risk of getting kidnapped, beaten up, then crossing the Sahara Desert, then getting to this uh, forest and desert in Morocco and trying for 14 months to cross. I think it's the craziest immigration story that I've ever heard. So yeah, I don't want to take too much more time uh, talking about it because I do want this to be more of a summary. But uh, yeah, Francis Ngannou, if you guys don't know him, then uh, look him up or just look up current UFC heavyweight champion. There's plenty of videos online. And if you want to listen to a three-hour testimony of his immigration story, then listen to Joe Rogan's uh, episode that he did with him. I do have the dream of one day sitting down with Francis and asking him way more than Joe did. I feel like Joe had no idea about any of this, which, fair enough, not a lot of people do. But I would love to have the opportunity to sit down with Francis someday and be able to ask him a lot more details about this. Um, So anyways, thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you haven't already shared, please do so. I really, really appreciate it. Okay, guys. Thank you.